All right, so we are taking some couple of weeks here at the beginning of 2017 to talk about living by faith, how to live by faith. And each week we're going to be looking at a different area of sin and seeing how the Bible says that area of sin can be overcome by faith in Jesus Christ. Not just by us trying harder, gritting our teeth harder, but by trusting Jesus. When we look to Jesus Christ and trust him as he's revealed in the word, the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon us, our hearts will be changed, strength will come, sin's power will be overcome. That's what we want to see in these next weeks. So two weeks ago, we looked at how to overcome temptation in general by faith, and this morning we're going to talk about how to overcome discouragement by faith. And to help us with that, we're going to look at King Jehoshaphat. A time in King Jehoshaphat's life when he very well could have been discouraged. So let's go ahead and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 in your Bibles. Or if you, it'll be up on the screen here. But I really encourage you, bring a Bible so you can underline words and make notes in your margins and make it your own. But if you don't have a Bible here, it'll be up on the screen. 2 Chronicles 20. Now King Jehoshaphat, who was King Jehoshaphat? He ruled over Judah, the, the kingdom of Judah, around 860 B.C. He was a godly man, as we will see in this passage. And in verses 1 and 2 of 2 Chronicles 20, we see that there was a crisis that Jehoshaphat faced. Here's what we read. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. Now, do you have a map? Okay, thanks. Tim's awesome. So here's the kingdom of Judah right here. And so we have the Ammonites are coming, the Moabites are coming, and the Munites, who are part of Edom down here. They're mentioned as being across the sea, because this is the red, this is the the sea that they're all behind, but they're all joining forces to come and attack Judah. And in verse 2, we read this is a great multitude. This is not like five or ten soldiers. This is a massive combination of three nations' armies. And in verse 12, we read that this is a great horde, that word horde, a great horde against whom Israel is powerless, Jehoshaphat says. So think of that. Three nations' armies coming against you, and you are powerless against them. Do you think you could have felt discouraged at this point? I mean, he could have completely felt discouraged here. He could have fallen into hopelessness. He could have felt like he is a, a victim of circumstances beyond his control. That's how Jehoshaphat could have easily felt. Now, to understand why, I want to give you an illustration that we used two weeks ago. So let's picture it like this. Jehoshaphat, remember we looked at John 6, 35, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. This is like our theme verse for this series on living by faith. And what that verse teaches us is that we are all hungry. We have heart hungers for security for joy, for peace, right, for hope. We all have heart hungers. And so Jehoshaphat was hungry just like we all are. 
And over here, let's say that this piece of bread here symbolizes all of his circumstances as king of Judah. And he very easily could have, he's hungry, he very easily could have relied on, on his being a king of a secure, safe, well-governed nation. He was obeying God. Okay? This wasn't a bad thing that he did that, but he could have very easily started relying on those circumstances to satisfy his hunger. Right? See how we do that? He could have easily depended upon his circumstances as king, leading a secure kingdom, well-governed, safe kingdom. He could have looked to that to satisfy his heart hungers for security, for joy, for peace, and for hope. Okay, but what's happening now is the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Munites are going to ruin all of that. Or at least it looks like they could. It looks like the Ammonites, Moabites, Munites are going to take this away from him. Okay? And so then he's hungry and it's, he's thinking, it's going to be gone. And so he would be left feeling hopeless, discouraged, like a helpless victim facing circumstances outside of his control. And so the thought that the one source he was looking to to satisfy his heart was going to be taken away could have left him very discouraged. Do you feel that? Now, what Jehoshaphat understood, though, and what we all need to understand clearly is that this isn't all the bread Jehoshaphat has, right? Okay, let's see what we got here. Oh, my goodness. I love doing this part. So there's more bread over here, okay? This is all that God has promised to give to Jehoshaphat in knowing and trusting him. So, and when you compare, just this isn't so hard, if you compare this bread with this bread, okay, which is bigger, this is bigger, right? This is a massive amount of bread. This is all that God promises to Jehoshaphat. Let me give you some examples. So God promises for Jehoshaphat that because of what the Messiah would do, God would forgive all of Jehoshaphat's sins. Beautiful, massive promise here, okay? God promises that because Jehoshaphat's sins are all forgiven, God says, I'm going to satisfy you completely. In, in fact, you read this verse this morning, or you quoted it. In God's presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forever. Oh, that speaks to Jehoshaphat's heart hungers. That in knowing God, in worshiping God, in fellowshipping with the living God, your presence is beautiful. Your glory is heart-filling. You're awesome to worship. And when I know and worship God, I'm filled up. Psalm 1611. God promises to, this is really amazing, to use every trial in Jehoshaphat's life to bring Jehoshaphat even more bread. Okay? That's what God promises. Psalm 119.71, God promises every trial that God allows to come to his people is out of his love and goodness to bring them even more heart-satisfying relationship with him. God promises to help him. God promises to guide him. God promises to strengthen him. God has promised him eternal life. Psalm 16, verses 9 through 11. Now, see, now this is a lot of bread. Can you all see that? This is a lot of bread. So if Jehoshaphat sees all this bread that he has in God and understands that this might be taken away, he would be at peace, right? He would be, I mean, if, if the trial comes, there's going to be even, even, even some more bread coming, okay? So, right? See? So, but now if Jehoshaphat looked at this situation and if he saw the possibility of this being taken away and he felt discouraged and fearful, and hopeless, and helpless, 
If that's how he's feeling as he looks at his circumstances, what's going on? What's going on is that at that moment, if he's feeling helpless and discouraged, it's because at that moment he is blind to all that God has promised to give to him. So this is a, like, let this represent sin, and it's covering that up, and he's hungry. He's not seeing any of that bread. All he's seeing is this, and it might be gone. And so he's discouraged. He's feeling helpless. He's feeling hopeless. Do you see that works? Now, here's the point. Whenever we're feeling hopeless, whenever we're feeling discouraged, that's the reason why. It's at that moment, God has given us incredible promises in Christ, but our sin is blinding us. We are not even seeing that. We're not thinking about that. All we're focused on is, I'm hungry, and this is the only little bread I have, and this might be gone. Okay, that's what's going on. So we, we've got to see this because, and this is the illustration. It's all based on John 6, 35. But again and again, this is the picture I'm praying God will give us to help us live by faith because this is always the situation we're facing. God has incredible promises in Christ for us of who he will be to us. Sin is always drawing us over to ignore this, be blind to this, focus on this. And this is what gives us lust, jealousy, greed, hopelessness, discouragement, insecurity, everything else here. And the solution is to look back to Jesus and say, help me, I'm blind right now. And he will need us. Okay, now, the point of this illustration so far is whenever we're feeling hopeless or discouraged, it's always because, it's never because of the circumstances. It's always because our sin is blinding us so we're not seeing all that we have in Christ. Okay, now, with that in mind, let's ask, so what crises are we facing now? What crises are we facing? And many of us, because of the economy and because of different circumstances, many of us are facing crises with our work, right? Lots of crises regarding work. This topic, frankly, I was going to cover it in a couple of weeks, but I felt like the Lord impressed upon me that because many of us are really having difficulties in the workplace, we need to talk about this today, this Friday. That's why God has you here. Some of you uh, have relationship problems in the workplace that are very difficult to manage, and you have felt very deeply discouraged about it. Others of you simply have a problem at work, and you're not sure what the solution is, and the pressure's on to solve it, and you aren't sure what to do, and you feel discouraged and hopeless because of that. Others of you have had benefits cut or salaries cut, and that's painful. It's like, duh, oh, bye, right? I mean, that's, that's just painful, right? It's not a fun thing to have that happen. Others of you have lost your jobs. Okay, right? Others of you, just the, the morale that's going on in the workplace and the, the threats of more layoffs possibly coming, more redundancy coming. So that's the situation that many of you are facing, crises in the workplace. Others, it's crises with health, crises with friendships, uh, crises in your marriage, or with your family, or with extended family members. So many of you are right now, this morning, in crisis mode. And, and the rest of you, listen carefully, because at some point you will be, right? That's how the Christian life works. God doesn't promise us a crisis-free life until heaven. Okay, that's coming. So those are the crises that we're facing. Now, think about the crisis that you're in, and if you're 
feeling discouraged and hopeless about it. Again, the reason you are is because you are seeing only that you're hungry and you're relying on this circumstance over here to satisfy, secure you, strengthen you, fill you. And if you're feeling hopeless, it's because you're at that moment blind to all that you have in Christ. Because think of what you have in Christ. Think of what God has promised to you. Just like with Jehoshaphat, in Christ, God has promised to forgive all your sins. Even the unbelief of being blind to his promises. Isn't that beautiful? If you'll turn to him, ask him to forgive you. You turn to him as you are. Forgive me for, I'm not even seeing your promises right now. I'm not even believing them. Help me. Forgiven. So Jesus will forgive all your sins through his death on the cross. All your past sins, all your present sins, all your future sins. Forgiven. Three promises. And because you're forgiven, as you look to him by faith, he promises to completely satisfy your heart in himself. John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. He also promises to use every trial to bring you even more joy in Christ. I'll take 2 Corinthians chapter 12, a New Testament passage for this one. So I'm running out of room. Here we go. Every trial, all right, more joy in Christ. He promises to help us, to provide for us all the finances we need. Might be a lot, might be a little, but the exact amount that will bring us the most, the most joy in Him, okay? He promises to guide us, to strengthen us, and He promises you eternal life. You know, that is a lot of bread. Now, if we're discouraged then about our situation over here, we're hungry, we're discouraged because this might be taken away. If we're discouraged, it's not because of the crisis. If you're feeling hopeless, it's not because of the work problems. If you're feeling like a helpless victim, it's not because of what your husband is doing or what your wife isn't doing or because of what your kids are doing or a cousin is doing. If you're discouraged or hopeless, it is not because of the crisis. Do you see that? If you're discouraged and hopeless, it's because at that moment, you are blind to all that you have. I mean, that just makes sense, doesn't it? If you're like really, really, really hungry right now, and you're thinking, I might lose that piece of bread, somebody would say, well, hello, look over there, right? You're hungry, you're going to be fine, right? And so if you don't see that you're going to be fine, it's because your sin is blinding you to all that you have in Christ. And isn't that what happens? I mean, just search your heart right now if you're in a crisis and you're feeling hopeless, or think about a time in the past when you've been discouraged. Isn't it true that God and his promises were not in your mind? Isn't that true? Well, where'd they go? They didn't go anywhere. But, oh, it's tragic, but it's true. And I speak to my shame. I mean, so often I lose sight of God's promises because of my sin. And if it's happening to you, it's because of your sin. But here's the good news. Jesus saves us from sin. Okay? So he will help us with this. So, with that in mind, let's ask, what did Jehoshaphat do to overcome discouragement? What did he do? And let's start reading in verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Now, that's understandable, right? Now, what, in, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about how God commands us not to be afraid. We can say, well, fear is, fear is very understandable human response. Yes, it is, but it's also sinful. And that's good news. It's never accurate to be afraid. 
It's never right to be afraid when we see who God is, but that's a sermon in a couple of weeks. But Jehoshaphat was afraid, and, and fear and discouragement are kind of overlapping. I think probably whenever there's discouragement, there's some kind of fear going on. And whenever there's fear, there's always some kind of discouragement going on. So I think it's overlapping here. So there was some discouragement going on in Jehoshaphat. But look at what Jehoshaphat does. And again, if there's one takeaway I want you to especially focus on, it's that when I am discouraged, the answer is faith, trusting in Jesus. And we're going to see how Jehoshaphat does that. But I, I Googled this morning how to overcome discouragement just to kind of see what I'd find. Here's what I found. Number one, be positive. Look on the bright side, okay? And sub part of that paragraph, when the going gets tough, the tough gets go get going. Anybody heard that before? Okay. Um, avoid dwelling on the negatives. Now, let me just encourage you. Followers of Jesus, let me put it the other way. Those suggestions are weak suggestions. Those suggestions are, I mean, don't dwell on the negatives. Well, they are there. Um, it's reality. If you're standing on the train track and a train is coming, you might want to dwell on the negatives for a couple of moments. <laughs> right? So all the counsel, you know, be positive. Yeah, we'll get off the train track. And, and so none of those is what the Bible calls us to do. And a lot of times Christians can think, well, be positive. Isn't, isn't that, that's found in the Bible somewhere. Well, no, not really. Not, not like most people mean it. What we're called to do is turn to Jesus and say, help me. I trust you. And that opens the door for God to work. And we're going to see Jehoshaphat taking steps here. How many steps? Six steps that he takes. First step, he set his face to seek the Lord. That's verse 3. Did you catch that? Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. That's what to do when you're fearful. That's what to do when you're discouraged. Now notice that phrase, set his face. What is that? That just pictures up resolve, right? Like de determination. Because it's not easy to seek the Lord, right? Your sin is saying, no, don't do that. You know, trying to pull you back. But you're going to set your face. I'm going to seek the Lord here. It's, it's a re resolution. It's determination. It's not just casually throwing out a prayer. It's I'm going to seek the Lord because he's promised when I seek him, I will find him. Jeremiah 29, 13. So that's the first step he takes. Second step. He calls others to join him in seeking the Lord. Verses 3 through 5, listen to what we read. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. This is a godly leader, okay? And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. I'm going to stop right there. But you see the picture. There's Jehoshaphat, and all of Judah has gathered to him. He said, everybody, we've got to fast. We've got to set our faces to seek the Lord. And I would encourage you, when you find yourself discouraged, don't just say, oh, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed, I'm just going to you know, kind of hole up here. Very often... It's wise and helpful to ask your wife to pray with you, ask your husband to pray with you, ask your kids to pray with all of you. I remember when I used to work in real estate years ago in, in the U.S., and we had some escrows that were difficult. Do you do escrows in your countries? I don't know. But anyway, that's 
it's a legal thing when the house is not quite sold yet, but you really hope it's going to happen. And we'd, we'd pray with our kids, oh, Lord, they, our kids knew that escrow's closing was very important, but they didn't know what it meant, okay? Have the escrows closed. So you gather your family together to pray, or you gather people from your home group together to pray. That's, you need a community of believers that you can say, would you come and pray with me about this? That's why home group is so, so, so important, just like Ahimen was sharing earlier today. I remember a time in the States when a young man in our home group unexpectedly lost his job, was laid off. And we gathered some of the brothers together. Let's get together and pray for our, our friend. And oh, God met us that night. And he was really encouraged and strengthened. So call others to join you in seeking the Lord. Third, he declared to God the truth of who God is. Verse 6. So all of Judah's gathered together. And then Jehoshaphat said, verse 6, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Now underline God of our fathers, and underline God in heaven. And then he explains God in heaven in the next line. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. So Jehoshaphat declares to God two truths about God. The first is you're the God of our fathers, which means you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you read the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's lots of beautiful truths about God there, but especially the truth that God is faithful to his promises. All of these are real, true, real bread, true promises. And God was faithful to Abraham, God was faithful to Isaac, God was faithful to Jacob, so he's the God of our fathers. And the other truth is that he is God in heaven who rules over all the kingdoms of the nations in his hand are power and might. No one can withstand you. That means God is sovereign over everything, over what everyone does. No one can ultimately act against God's will. That's what it means, that God is sovereign. And so Jehoshaphat declares to God these two truths. You are God in heaven, and you are God of our fathers. Now, why do you tell God who God is? I mean, God knows who he is better than, than we do. I think there's lots of reasons, but, but here's one reason. When we declare the truth of who God is, God will pour his spirit out upon us so that those truths about who God is will, will strengthen our faith. When, when we are blind to God's promises and, and, we, and we, we turn to Jesus and we say, I'm not even seeing you now, I'm not even trusting you, but you are God of our fathers, you're, you're faithful to Abraham. You'll be faithful to me now to open my eyes and help me see. You'll forgive me for my unbelief. You are sovereign over everything. And as you declare the truth of who God is, all of a sudden you'll start to see, right? You've experienced that happening. Declare to God the truth of he is, and the Holy Spirit will start to set you free from sin's blinding power. Listen, I, I, I'm not sure some of you believe this yet. I'm not sure if there's a lot, but some of you that sounds like good news, but you're just not seeing anything of God right now. not seeing anything of Jesus. And I tell you, on the authority of God's word, this is true. If you will humble yourself, just like Erica shared with us, take some time to go away by yourself with the scriptures and say, I am blind. I don't even know if you're there. I'm not sure if I'm just being a fool talking right now. But if you're real, would you come and meet me? He will. He will. He'll meet you. He's faithful. When we seek him, we will find him. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. So 
I just sense some of you are really blinded right now. And this sounds like almost too good news to be true, but you don't need to continue in your blindness. He has the power to heal that blindness, and he will. So take heart. Fourth, he declared to God the truth of his promise, God's promise. That's verses 7 through 9. He's talking about the promise of the land. Okay, God had promised Israel the land. If you're faithful to me, Israel, if you don't worship idols, this land will be yours forever. And at this time, this promise was still in place. We know that later in Israel's history, they did turn to idols, and God had Babylon come and took the land away from them. They've lost that promise. We know that believers, we will inherit. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, that's coming. But anyways, that's the context here. Verse 7 did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they've lived in it, have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. So, Jehoshaphat is speaking God's promises back to God here. Do you see how that works? Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, God, you promised to give me wisdom? James chapter 1, verse 5, I don't know what to do, but you promise here that you'll give me wisdom for the glory of your name. I, I, I don't, you don't owe this to me? This would be mercy, but you promised to give mercy. So fulfill your promise. Give me wisdom. Or you've promised to provide financially. I need a job. I don't have a job now, but you've promised. Seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and all these things will be added. So Lord, in your faithfulness, provide. Have you ever prayed God's promises to him and asked him to be faithful to his promises? That's a huge part of living by faith, and that's what Jehoshaphat does here. And when we do, we're not seeing it yet, but when we do, Lord, you've promised to satisfy my heart, You've promised to guide me, guide my steps. You've promised to work everything for good. I'm not seeing that's going to happen. As you pray God's promises, the blindness of sin will be removed. Your faith will grow, and you'll see, and you'll trust. Fifth, he described his situation and admitted his neediness. That's verse, start with verse 10, 11, and 12. Now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they, Israel, avoided them. They did not destroy them. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you've given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, a crucial part of this is when you're before the Lord Tell him what's going on. Describe to him what's taking place in your circumstances. Talk about the people on, on your team and the difficulties you're having. Talk about the reductions of salaries and benefits and the impact that that's having on you. Talk about what your wife is doing or what your kid... Talk about it. You're pouring your soul out before the Lord saying, Lord, look, look at what's going on here. Now, why do we do that? It's not because God doesn't know, right? God is omniscient, theologians say. Omni, all Shint knowledge, okay, all-knowing. All right, see, that works. He's, he's all-knowing. God always knows consciously everything, past, present, and future, all the time. Okay, so God knows everything. You're not informing him of anything he doesn't know. So why tell him? I think one of the reasons is because as you share 
the difficulties you're facing, you will see and feel that he understands, he knows, and he cares. And you'll be able to pour your soul out before him and sense his love and care for you in the problems and difficulties you're facing. He won't be distant. You'll sense he's there, he knows, he cares. It's powerful. So tell him what you're facing and then also admit your neediness. Okay, we, verse 12, we are powerless against this great horde. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I don't know what to do, God. I don't have the power to overcome this. I'm helpless. Is that a negative confession? If it is, I don't care. It doesn't make any difference. It's the truth. It's the truth. And you're looking to the one who has all the power and has all the authority, and when we humble ourselves and say, I'm, I'm helpless now, apart from you, come and help me, he moves in with power and goes to work. So it's just the truth, right? So, so get, the, get the drama here. Oh, verse 13, one more. Verse, here's the sixth point that he does. He and all Israel waited on the Lord, verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. So, so get the drama here. He's just said, we are powerless before this great multitude. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you, period. Prayer's over. And all of Israel's waiting. Waiting. Right? Why would they wait? It's because they know those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. None of those who wait on the Lord will be ashamed. They know that everyone who waits on the Lord will see God work. It's a tragic thing that there are many, too many believers who never wait long enough on the Lord to see God work. What if Jehoshaphat would have said his whole prayer, Lord, they're coming, strengthen us, amen. Okay, guys, get your shields and swords, let's go. Anything wrong with that? Yes. Wait on the Lord, seek the Lord, pursue the Lord. So, so get the drama here, this is amazing. This is a leader who's just prayed, Lord, we don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. And then verse 13, all Judah stands before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children waiting. Do you feel the dramatic tension in the, in, in the story? What does God do? Verse 14, and the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly, so God gave a spiritual gift to this man, and he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And do not be dismayed at this great horde. Yes, they're a great horde. Don't fear them. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You'll find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. So they prayed, they waited on the Lord. God stirred a spiritual gift, directed them with what to do. So here's the point. 
Whenever we seek the Lord and wait on Him, I mean, really press in, not just token prayers, but really getting on our knees, getting on our faces, pressing in, Lord, I need you, I need to meet you. He will always work. He will always come. He will always strengthen you. He will always guide you. You may be waiting on the Lord and say, I got to go to work. So, okay, so you, you head to work. I'm going to be back, Lord. Okay, so you're, you're working, working, working. Okay, lunchtime, Lord, here I am. I'm waiting on you. Come. Okay, back to work. All right, you're working, working, working. That night, okay, Lord, I'm back. Right? You, but he will work. He will meet you. You just keep pressing in. It may be five minutes. It may be longer. But he will always come. He will always work. He will always open your eyes. He will always guide you. And sometimes, sometimes, He'll work miracles like he does here. And what does he do? Keep reading. Or what happens next? Verses 18 through 23. Verse 18. Jehoshaphat, you know, the spiritual gift came, told him what to do. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. I just want you to see the contrast. Verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid. Okay, here, verse 18, Jehoshaphat and all Israel are worshiping. That is a powerful change of heart. From fear to praise and worship and celebration, that's night and day. Do you see that? And how did that happen? Oh, God, help. We're hopeless. We're helpless apart from you. You're God in the heavens. You've been God of our fathers. You're faithful to your promises. You've promised us this land Declaring to God who he is, declaring to God his promises, asking God to work. God always works, and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, and their hearts changed from fear to worship. Keep reading in verse 19. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Very loud voice praising going on here, okay? And they rose early in the morning went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, and when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. You will be established. Believe his prophets. You will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. That was their worship song. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord... The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. How are they routed? Verse 23. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. It's amazing. So God delivered Israel by having the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Munites all fight and kill each other. God worked. God was faithful. Now, here's two takeaways I want you to think about for this morning. Two applications. One is this. If you have not come to the place in your life where you have bent the knee before Jesus Christ and has acknowledged him as Savior and Lord and treasure, then, then you, you, you don't have any of this here. You don't have any of this because of your sin. And, and we've all been in that exact same place. Okay? 
And, and all you have is these little crusts of circumstances that can come and go and they never satisfy you anyway. Because you were created to have your heart satisfied in knowing God, worshiping God, living for Jesus Christ in his glory. But here's the good news. By trusting Jesus Christ because of his death on the cross for you, you this morning can, you can, you can walk out with this. You can just head out of here with this, okay? You can, you can walk out with, with all that God promises to be to you in Jesus Christ. None of you needs to walk out with just this little thing which is not going to satisfy you anyway. So I just simply say, what do you want to walk out with? Do you want to walk out with, with this or do you want to walk out with this? Now, it's not cost-free, okay? You need to lose your life for Christ's sake. You need to turn away from everything else you've trusted to satisfy you and trust Jesus Christ to satisfy you. And he will vastly more than anything else that you're turning from, right? Following Christ doesn't mean giving up on more joy to settle for less. Like we said three weeks ago, following Christ means turning from less joy to gain the greatest joy. He is the greatest joy. Not just like you believe it, but he is. You'll experience it. So I plead with you, turn and trust Jesus Christ this morning. Trust him. Trust his death on the cross to pay for your sins. Trust him to change your heart. Trust him to satisfy you in himself. He will. That's one takeaway. Second takeaway is this. Whenever you feel discouraged, understand what's going on. It's not your circumstances that's the problem. It's that your sin is blinding you to all that Jesus Christ is to you. That's the problem. And there's a beautiful solution. It's in him. You, you turn your heart back to him. You say, help me. Open my eyes. I'm not even seeing you right now. You open up the scriptures. It's like Erica said earlier. You open up the scriptures. You read the scriptures. You pray over God's word. Meet me. Open my eyes. Help me. And I promise you, he's promised, more important, that he will. And you will see and you'll, you'll taste and you'll be filled. When you're discouraged, turn to Christ. Just like Jehoshaphat did. Trust him. Pray. He will meet you and strengthen you and encourage you and change your heart. Now, I want to pray this over us. And then there's a beautiful song Amy's chosen to have us close with, which just fits this perfectly. He will hold me fast. Let me pray. And then we need to have some guys take this table away, don't we? Okay, thanks, men. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray right now for those in this room who are facing crises and who are discouraged. And Lord, I ask, I plead with you that you would touch their hearts right now, that the truth of your word would grip their hearts right now, that they would see that you are real and that you will meet them and that you will open their eyes to see you will strengthen their faith. All they need to do is turn to you and say, forgive me and help me, and that you will do it. So, Lord, I pray that right now bring faith, bring encouragement to those who are discouraged. And I pray, I plead with you, Lord, that this morning, now, later today, that they could seek you and meet you and that you would encourage them and comfort them and fill them. So, God, I pray that you would do that. And I pray for those in this room who have not yet put their trust in Christ. Lord, we love them. We're glad they're here. You're glad they're here. You brought them here to hear this message today. Lord, let them see all that they can have in Christ. 
Let them see all the forgiveness, all the joy, all the peace, all the guidance, strength, provision, comfort, encouragement, and eternal life. And let them turn to Christ and trust him today, I pray. In Jesus' name.